It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. So how will our podcast episode this week even compete with Taylor Swift's album drop? I think it competes because you know what? Early voting started this week. That's right. Early voting began on Thursday. So welcome to voting season, folks. Yay. Looking at social media today, we're recording on Thursday afternoon. Looks like there's some long lines out there, at least here in Raleigh. Yeah. All the little stickers. I voted. We are ready to see more of it. Ready to see what happens. Yeah. Go out and vote. You know, even if you are not registered, and I doubt we have many listeners who are not registered to vote, but you can same day register during early voting, which ends Saturday, November 5th. I do believe you have to take something to prove your address, Mm -hmm. but I believe that's it. Yeah. So on Monday, you and I were driving and this article from WRAL came up talking about the outside spending numbers in the election thus far. And that's because the FEC reporting deadline had just passed. And so we had everyone's numbers. When you look at what the candidates are filing as far as what they've raised, it appears that Democrats are in a great position versus Republicans, certainly at that U.S. Senate level. Sherry Beasley is just hauling in the cash almost two to one, it feels like, against Mm -hmm. Congressman Bud. However... That doesn't tell the entire story. Outside spending has been crazy, and most of it has been benefiting Ted Budd and Republican congressional candidates. You know, you're seeing a lot of this money sky on TV right now, and you'll notice, I've noticed, that most of the ads you're seeing are not from the candidates. They're coming from these independent expenditures, these PAC groups that are not coordinating uh, with the candidates, but a flood of money here at the end. There's one exception, though. That is in North Carolina's first congressional district, and that is the race between Senator Don Davis and Sandy Smith. And it appears $2.8 million has been spent against Smith in that race, and only about $26,000 has been spent for her and against him. Yeah, so this is the race to replace retiring Congressman G.K. Butterfield. I think by all accounts, I've, I've talked to Republicans about this. Sandy Smith is a very, very flawed candidate. So the IEs are really flocking to Senator Davis and looks as if he is in a good position. You and I were up in northeastern North Carolina this week. His signs are everywhere. We did see a lot of Sandy Smith signs, but this year... The IEs are siding with the Democrat. So on Thursday, we recorded the podcast on Thursday afternoon, as we usually do. And obviously, there was a tragedy in Raleigh on Thursday evening. And this week, some Democratic lawmakers spoke about that. Yeah, you called me Thursday night. I was at the office uploading the podcast. We do some work for the Raleigh Police Protective Association. So I called our client. And he confirmed that Gabrielle Torres, an officer at the Raleigh Police Department, was shot in the neck as he was getting into his car to go to work. Officer Torres was in his 20s, been on the force for about 18 months, was a veteran of the Marines and has a two and a half year old daughter. A lot of tragedy here. Uh, He was one of five who died So our hearts go out to everyone affected by this tragedy and certainly the city of Raleigh, which is still in mourning, including us. But it did seep its way into politics 
As everything does. A press conference was held on Tuesday. Democrats calling for some gun safety legislation. Democratic members of both the House and the Senate stood up and spoke about the tragedy. Specifically, Senator Dan Ballou, the minority leader in the Senate, said he lives in that neighborhood and has for about 30 years They did say that they had filed 10 bills around gun reforms, and none of those have received a hearing. But then there is that one bill, Mm -hmm. and that bill was from the House, and it's a safe storage bill about getting locked, keeping your guns locked up. And that was introduced by Republican Bobby Hannig, who is now Senator Bobby Hannig. I was glad to see uh, Representative Marsha Moray talk at the press conference about her having conversations with Republicans prior to when they're coming in to session in January. I have an observation as it pertains to gun violence legislation. I do believe that both sides are in their corners, but I think both sides tend to be communicating with each other about gun safety issues through the media. I have not seen, up until this point, a lot of behind-the-scenes conversations, compromise, working on drafts of legislation. So whether it is this red flag bill that Representative Moray wants to enact. I am glad to hear that she is willing to talk to Republicans, and I hope on the other side, Republicans are are willing to talk to her. It sounds like that's happening. But Representative Hannig, again, you're right, the safe storage uh, legislation that he wants to see passed. He got it through the House, but the Senate didn't hear it. Now, he says that he's going to push it over on the Senate side. By the way, Senator Hannig is a very conservative legislator, part of the Freedom Caucus, and really holds those values, but he sees this as common sense. But this will be something to watch, I think, as we are getting into the 2023 session. Speaking of sessions, this was another one of those weeks where technically the General Assembly was in session. It was another administrative session and nothing happened, but just to keep you updated... There was another session this week. And then what is almost a weekly segment of court news? (laughs) More v. Harper, which we have discussed previously, that's the independent state legislature theory, has been scheduled for oral arguments at SCOTUS, and that will be on December 7th. Uh, There was an article this week in the Atlantic Monthly. This is a storied, long-form journalism magazine. They were covering North Carolina, our politics, the elections, through the lens of abortion. And we got lots of good quotes out of this Atlantic Monthly article. certainly got my attention. So they had interviewed Governor Cooper, who said basically his same talking points we've heard throughout this election cycle. I'm not on the ballot, but the ability of me to veto legislation is on the ballot. Those sorts of sentiments. He also said, quote, you've seen Republican candidates and Republican legislators trying to moderate their positions on abortion to gain election. And then he added, my message is, don't believe them, end quote. And Senate President Pro Tem Phil Berger, he certainly had some words to say in response. His quote, I dare say that the people they point to who have introduced a bill to ban abortion are people that generally don't get bills passed. Looking at some of the more conservative. Yes, culturally conservative Republicans, mm-hmm. I would assume in both the House and the Senate. 
Senator Berger has certainly put down a marker that he believes in his words, first trimester autonomy. Governor Cooper saying don't trust him. Combative words between two leaders, Governor Cooper and Senator Berger, who are usually pretty staid in their comments. But anyway, we're just going to have to duke this out in the election. Speaking of election, Sky, there seems to be this sentiment out there in some of the polling we've seen. East Carolina University just came out with a poll that Representative Ted Budd is six points ahead of Sherry Beasley in the U.S. Senate race. Seem to be some late breakers as we enter into early voting. And that poll, along with some polling that we're hearing across the board, Democrats and Republicans, there is a feeling that Republicans are back into a good position to get super majorities in both the Senate and the House. That's right. Time will tell. We'll know on November 8th, maybe November 9th, maybe even November 10th. But that has become kind of the water cooler talk at the General Assembly among legislators, both sides, and lobbyists. This week's Sky, we have Dan Crawford, political operative, who is going to talk to us about the voter file. Not the voter file on the State Board of Election website. We're going to talk about that dark voter file that knows about you, Sky. Since we did this recording last week, we've been talking about different things that could factor into that data file that they have and things that you might not have thought of before. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Dan Crawford. Director of Governmental Relations at the League of Conservation Voters. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. To start us off, tell us about your job. What is it that you do on a day-to-day basis? Um, I kind of have two jobs. Uh, I'm a lobbyist for the League of Conservation Voters. So uh, when the session is in, I'm at the General Assembly uh, lobbying on, on environmental legislation. And then right now in political season, I do the politics for the organization. And I think we're likely one of the larger advocacy groups in the political arena in North Carolina. So I'm doing all their expenditure expenditures and uh, all the work they're doing to try to elect pro-conservation members to the General Assembly. And what is a pro-conservation member? You know, we're a bipartisan organization. So anybody that supports the environment, if you support the environment, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, you have a chance of winning. We, we We want to support your campaign. And you are married to a state senator? Uh, yes. Uh, I go. My other title is Mr. Sarah Crawford. Okay. In right. uh, many circles, and that's a promotion. Uh, gl- glad to get it. Uh, but yes, my wife is Senator Sarah Crawford. and uh, That's not what you said before she came in. Well, I know. Be- before she came in, I, I was uh, singing, uh, singing a different tune, but well, welcome to my life. <laughs> so we'll just note, Senator Crawford is here, right beside you. Right we don't have her mic'd me. up, but she's going to make sure you, you keep she, it right. She's with kicking distance. So <laughs> you, you might not hear, but if I say ow, that means I said something wrong. Okay. Well, Dan, we're here to talk about the voter file 
And we've kind of referenced it in some past podcasts. There's a lot of, I don't know, secrecy about the voter file and how it works. Most folks in the public don't know. I find most lobbyists don't know how the voter file works, but you've been working in political campaigns your entire career. Over over 20 years. Yeah. And we're going to get to who you are and how you got here later. But when we say the voter file, can you talk about what that is? The voter file is essentially public information. So if Brian or Sky, if you go to the vote, the Board of Elections, you put in your name and you, you're going to have a voter registration file. That is the simplest form of the file. It's going to have your name, your address, which is all public information. You know, n- no secrets there. State Board of Election website. You State can Board of Elections, up. right. Uh, you, you can look up your neighbors um, and find out uh, information. You can find out their registration, party party affiliation, registration, how often they vote, uh, when they voted. And again, that's all public information. And everybody has access to that. That is the voter file in its most simple form. On the campaign side, we take it another step. And the best analogy I have for that is just if, if you're watching something on TV, certain commercials are going to pop up. That's because these companies have done marketing research. They know their audience. They know who's watching these types of programs. Well, in the world of politics, we, we have done the same thing. We take marketing data and there's companies out there that are paid and they compile as much information as possible. And then all that information that they can get, they put it into algorithms. And I joke, I'm a political scientist, not a real one. (laughs) Uh, And these algorithms spit out profiles of every individual voter and that gives you that gives them all sorts of scores first one is your propensity to vote for a democrat my friends and colleagues on the other side that do the stuff i do there's going to be their your propensity to vote republican most of these scores are you know scores of from zero to a hundred and uh, i ran some numbers and you know my propensity I, I was a little shocked it was this high but my propensity to vote for a democrat was 99 out of 100 so that pretty much tells anyone that has access to my file that I'm going, they think I'm going to vote for a Democrat. I will say publicly, I have not voted for 99 out of 100 Democrats because <laughs> like, like you two, I'm in this business. I know these people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to vote for the right candidate. Based on this data that you have about different voters, can you tell who I, Sky, have voted for in the past? I can tell a lot about, I believe, Sky, Alexandria, David, uh, this is on, getting Pers- weird, okay. on, on, on Person Street, uh, number, uh, I, won't, I won't tell your address. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I cannot, and I, I don't believe anybody has the authority, the power to tell you who you voted for. Okay. We do not have access to that. That's not public or available data. Let's talk about social media. I get a question a lot about that. So Facebook likes Instagram like absolutely it all goes into the voter file it all goes into the database that creates the voter file. companies can use to create a database okay and again they're trying to you know gather as much information as possible and so again if they can locate this Facebook profile with Dan Crawford or Brian Lewis and link it back to this voter then it can go into that algorithm that's going to spit out data downloads of music what movies you watch anything that you're doing on the internet where you have agreed to the the terms. You didn't read the small print, but you agreed. We're going to share every bit of information that we can. And I should say not share. We're going to sell it to the voter files. That is going to create an index. So if I listen to country music, love the Chicago Cubs, uh, have liked these pages on Facebook, that goes in and creates a profile of me. Yep, that's correct. Everybody has a digital footprint of of some form. 
Unless you're and, paying for cash, everything. Uh, 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 and, but yeah, yeah, right. Off the grid. Uh, off the grid. I mean, everybody has some sort of digital fingerprint. So with an organization like yours, are you looking at the full breadth of someone's data or are there specific things you're looking for? Tell us how you decide like what information is pertinent versus what you don't care about. You know, everybody's score is based on zero to 100. But say I'm looking to turn out voters for a certain candidate of a certain party, I'm gonna look at that scale of zero to 100. On the scale of 70 to 100, those are pretty re regular, reliable Democratic voters. So I likely don't need to do that much to get them out the vote. Go to the other end, zero to 30, zero to 40, are worth less than my time. They're Republican voters, so I don't need to turn them out. I would tell my data person, how many people are in that 40 to 60 range, 40 to 70 range? If I'm in a neighborhood, uh, in our neighborhood in Cary, uh, door knockers come around. Yep. I notice they don't go to every door. I That's assume right. they're using the voter file and they're That's saying, correct. okay, we're indexing the Lewis family, the Robinson family, the Klein family. The Lewis's and the Robinson's might get mail, but the Klein's don't. Right. Based on what this but, data is kicking out. Absolutely. Because if, if that data shows that the Lewis's vote 100% of the time, we're, we're not going to roll the dice and we don't feel obligated to go to the Lewis's house. Mm -hmm. But if the Robinsons and the Smiths show up 75, 60, 75% of the time, we want to maybe give them that extra nudge, that extra motivation to come out by having the candidate stop by there, drop their literature, have the canvasser stop by and, you know, talk about the issues. Same thing with the boss sitting right here next to me when she goes out door knocking, mm -hmm. you know, it's picking those houses where they know they have a chance of affecting the outcome. Mm -hmm. And that's whether it's through somebody going to the polls to vote or if it's in a primary, flipping their mind and influencing their decision. It, it's all laid out with data in front of us. How you know, many races are you saying that you're kind of playing in on the political arm? Um, right now, maybe I've got my eye on about a half a dozen. Okay, so if you have six races, how many voters are you targeting? Let's break down what the average Senate, the size of a Senate district is a couple hundred thousand voters. Okay. You break that out, you might have 60,000 of those people that are expected to show up. And then, you know, you work backwards to get like a win number. And so, again, you're looking at actual voters. Mm -hmm. And then of that 200,000 people, we just I just said half of them vote. And then it's going to be an even smaller subset of those, of that 60,000, that's going to be persuadable. Mm -hmm. And that might they might get a message, you know, where they're they're contrasting the two options for state senate. This one supports the environment. This one does not support the environment. And then you know their propensity to vote. So that's also going to go in there. So again, you're you're talking in a state senate race. I would guess ten, fifteen thousand, mm -hmm. and it varies depending on where the senate district is. If it's here in the city, mm -hmm. it might be a little bit higher than that. If mm -hmm. it's more rural, maybe less. We know we have a lot of listeners that are going to immediately start uh, communicating with us saying, I want to see this file. I want to get on the file. I want to see the file. Who gets access to the file? How do you get access to the file? And again, we want to differentiate. You can go to that basic information at yeah. the State Board of Elections, but that doesn't tell most of the story. That's right. And most people, yeah, you have to pay for it. Okay. Like I said, there's two organizations, you know, both parties compete to use the most accurate data. Mm -hmm. It's not a Democratic thing. It's, it's a Democratic and Republican thing. Mm -hmm. And so organizations pay to get, have access to the data. And, you know, we're part of the organizations that pay for that access. And we can't share lists. You can't. Is that part of the coordination laws we uh, have? It, it is okay. part of the coordination laws. Okay. 
back to your environmental scores that you're looking at, what factors play into that specific environmental score? So one, one project, I don't, don't think I'm giving away too much, but one project we looked at with that environmental score, you know, again, it's all sorts of things that we can factor into the algorithm to put in to run this data score to get this number, you know, whether it be recycling information, what you're buying at the grocery store with your VIC card. Uh, you know, some grocery stores give you a discount for taking your own bags. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's tracked. And, but you get this environmental score, and so we can go in and we have everybody's environmental score and then something we might look at is, okay, of these environmental voters, how many people sit out off your elections? And we'll see what environmentalists sit out off your elections. And then we might go in with an environmental message to try to leverage them to show them the importance of voting this year. You know, they may vote in every presidential election. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there's a large group of people that fit that category. And we're communicating to them right now saying, hey, don't sit this one out. Right. You share our values of protecting North Carolina's air, water, land. It's important that you vote all the time, not just in presidential years. And so, again, back to my zero to 100 model. Actually, I think we're looking at 70s and up that don't vote in non-presidential years. Wow. And That's again, depressing. yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a surprising group of people. And you know, if you're trying to communicate for a congressional race, it, it adds up. And as you two know, the margins of races in North Carolina come down to what we had a statewide race come down votes. to four hundred votes. Before we started the podcast, we were just kind of kicking around some numbers. You had pulled our profiles on how environmentally conscientious or our, our tendency to support environmental issues can yeah I, share I, you know, brian's address well yeah <laughs> brian's address you uh, can, with, uh, <laughs> let's see here i uh, won't we'll share his wife's name uh, yeah so i looked up i want to see what everyone's environmental score is and you know and after looking up the score i want to say that this data is not perfect mm-hmm. because, and I say that because the uh, environmentalist that gets paid to do this for a living has the lowest environmental score of the three of us. Wow. <laughs> uh, that, that, I, I'm shocked. We're going to tell yeah. your employer. Yeah. <laughs> Don't. I, I may have to quit. Um, yeah. So my environmental score was a 35.96. Wow. And why is it so low? Because it's bad information, Sky. Clearly, it's really bad information. No, <laughs> I, I don't know because, you know, I, I, I'm, not only do I work for an environmental organization, I'm Mr. Recycle. You know, we put out our green trash can once a month because we yeah. recycle everything. Uh, so it's just, uh, again, there's some modeling going in there. There's something in there that I've done. Then maybe it's my garden and gun subscription. Maybe. That has lowered my environmental score or something like that that or my... So Confess other, now, we'll hear it. Yeah, no, that's uh, so. Who knows? But next, now, would you communicate to you based on your score? No, you would not. Uh, uh, of the program I just described, I would not get. Well, one, I'm a super voter. Yeah. So you know, that, that's my up here where it says my propensity to vote is 97.9, and so I'm definitely higher than all y'all. Uh, are you? Ba- you're higher than us. I am. I am higher than you. I'm. I'm 97.9. You're 96.8, and Sky is 71.4. She doesn't vote in primaries. That's right. I saw that. <laughs> Can't figure me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can. Let's hear our scores. <laughs> so yeah, the, the, the environmentalist is 35.96, followed by Brian with a 72.98. Yeah. And then uh, Sky wins the day with 88.62. <laughs> I think it's code for she's just a lot younger than us. Yeah, probably. 
And uh, as, yeah, so that, that's, uh, but yeah, congratulations. You're, you're, you're the most environmental. So I have to say, I have never really considered myself in that way. I mean, I'm trying to think. We make a donation to the Save the Turtles. Yeah. Uh, we do recycle. I mean, we... You compost, too. We compost. Uh, we do use the bags yeah. but religiously. I mean, we will go back home if we forgot our bags. Right, right, We right. do that. But Julie probably up. has a higher score than you. Probably. She, yeah, she drives a Prius. Yeah, that's going to pop up. I'm sure that all, all those things go in. Let me ask you this. You know, we've got a lot of issues that are out on the table since the summer. You know, the abortion yeah. decision. You work in environmental work. I, I assume that organizations like Planned Parenthood have access to the file. They buy into the file. Sure. When you see someone indexed highly on your issue, but you see their voter registration is Republican, for example. Is it worth going to a registered Republican and saying, hey, we see that you're 99% on the pro-choice side or you're 99% concerned about the environment? Is do you make that decision? Is I mean, it, it all depends on you know, if you're running the score. You know, again, we, we run models or pull data and run lists okay. for voter contact based on scores. And if we run that score, and that's that's one of the things that we plug in that we want in, in this list. Anyone who has an environmental score or an abortion score, if that's your issue of seventy mm -hmm. up, it doesn't matter. We don't we're not running it by party. Mm -hmm. We're running it typically by just a score alone. So Democrat, Republican, Independent, unaffiliated, they will come into our list. Okay. I mean, and, you know, as you know, I, I pulled the numbers as of 10-8. You know, there's almost 7.4 million voters in North Carolina. 2.494 of them are Democrat. 2.218 of them are Republican. And the highest number is 2.625 unaffiliated. If you're trying to win a close election, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, and you're, you're going to pull a list based on your issue, Mm -hmm. And then because in a general in North Carolina, you can vote for whatever candidate you want to. And so, you know, you, you're, you're going to want to play to what we call the squishy middle on certain issues. And this data allows you to really target that message to those homes, right? So if you have a Republican registered voter participates in Republican primaries, but they have some progressive tendencies, you can tailor a message into their home, mail, maybe even digital. Yep. I've got a project right now I'm working on. The profile of the target audience is 55-year-old white women and up, regardless of party affiliation, are getting messaging on a topic to try to influence their decision. Wow. So and I, again, I'm not looking for a Democrat or Republican. Right. You know, like I said, many of these people might be a, they could be a Republican primary voter. Right. But if they fit into my scale, my very narrow focus, then they're going to get the communication. And just to underscore, your counterparts on the other side, the Republican side, the conservative side, they're doing the exact same thing. Right. Absolutely. I'm 100% certain of that. Yeah. I have to assume, based on your issue, that you're also targeting younger voters. Absolutely, yeah. So with that, are you doing a lot of social media, and how do you decide what platforms you're going to use? Um, social media has become a huge part of the way we invest our funds. From simplest format, the Facebook ads you see, uh, to the, you know, the unskippable promos and commercials that pop up before you watch a video on YouTube, or if you're watching on Hulu. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the unskippable stuff uh, that costs a lot more. And again, it's all about budget. It's all about how much money you have. But that's one, probably one of the, the biggest chunk of where m my money goes is digital. And which of those platforms 
do you utilize the most as far as ads? There's not just one. It's all hands on deck. You diversify, you're going to throw a couple at Facebook ads and you get numbers, you know, you, you get really, that's what, that's the great thing about digital. You know, I think the last time I saw the average person looks at a mail piece for about eight seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, with digital, I can see how many clicks I've gotten. Oftentimes you'll have a landing page associated with that digital page. I can see how many people have gone to that landing page. I can see how many people watched that 15 second ad from start to finish, that 30 second ad from start to finish. So I really like that about digital because you feels like you're reaching a good number of voters and those voters are are typically younger voters. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to my neighbors, the Robinsons. We're watching the same YouTube video. Are they getting a different ad based on their scores than I'm getting according to my scores? Do you know? I know there's ways to tie your IP address Mm -hmm. back to the voter file. It's not cheap, but I know I can target it that way Mm -hmm. if I want to. And again, I think the, the answer is it's all about the money. It's all about the budget. Okay. If I have the budget to pay for something to go into Brian and Julie's house, then I want, I want to follow that up. And so say, and we like to piggyback things. So maybe you've gotten a piece of mail for candidate X. Well, now we're going to, we want to follow you up with a digital ad about candidate X. Okay. And then, you know, then we can follow you up with a text. Hey, did you see that mail piece on candidate X? Uh Uh-huh. Or we'll hit you with a with a voicemail message, a phone call from, you know, likely a female voice, nice southern voice. I need that. Did you see that <laughs> mail piece about Candidate X? They they like to club baby seals. Okay. I love baby seals. We don't need to club them. No, we don't. We need to save them. Brian, vote for Candidate X. Okay. I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to who you are, how did you get interested in politics and start in politics? It's a great question. I come from very humble beginnings in the mountains of Western North Carolina. I was the first person in my family to go to college. And in 1992, I was on a family vacation down to Florida. And my family's very apolitical, very working poor, uh, very, Sarah's nodding her head. She knows, she knows my family. (laughs) That's why we can't live in Asheville because my family lives there. Um, (laughs) They would just show up. Nobody needs that. (laughs) Nobody. My mom showed up at my house today. (laughs) A little four hours away. Um, But in 1992, I was on a family vacation down to Florida where I did have family. My grandparents raised me and my grandmother had family down there. And my cousin, she had, I want to recall, it's been a long time now. The story's getting longer and longer away from when it happened, the longer I live. But she, I think she had a school project. And so we got to go see all three presidential candidates that year. Wow. We saw Bush, we saw Perot, and we saw Clinton. And that's what I really tie back to my interest in politics because like there was a guy that kind of talked funny like I do uh, being from the south and he seemed to be talking about my people Bill Clinton Bill Clinton with that populist message mm-hmm. and I was like that, that's interesting but you know I, I come from a political family so I didn't know what that meant at the time and then uh, you know I started college at Mars Hill College I have to slow that down Mars Hill <laughs> it's a in Mars Hill North Carolina not Marshall okay which is in West Virginia that's not me with the blue and gold <laughs> Fighting lines of Morris Hill College. Started there, and then I came to NC State, and I had a friend doing some work in politics, and he gave me an internship uh, with the Democratic Party. And, uh, you know, I had a, a graduated with a degree from NC State with a political science degree, and somebody said, what are you going to do with that? And I said, I'm going to I'm gonna go into politics. Mm-hmm. 22 years later, it stuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it seems to be what I'm going to be when I grow up. So you were in D.C. for a while. No, no. I got way too much North Carolina in me oh. to go to Didn't D.C. Didn't y'all meet in D.C.? No, uh, we, we met working for members of Congress. Oh, was, okay. Yeah. I just assumed that was in D.C. Yeah, no. She worked for Congressman Price, and I wanted. To, I worked for the guy that wanted to be Congressman Miller. 
Okay. <laughs> At the time, he was, the, he was just Senator Miller. That's right. Uh, Senator Brad Miller. Um, he was not congressman yet. We met at a young Democratic kickball tournament. Yeah. Uh, but she had some baggage then, so. Um, a boyfriend. Uh, that's what you want to call it. <laughs> I, I, call him, I, I call him the unibrower. <laughs> no, leave that in. <laughs> so what is it like being married to a senator, soon to be House member? I imagine politics is a big part of your household. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a, a big part of the household. There's just there's no way to avoid it. Right. Right. You, you can't. I mean, you know, m- mommy's the state senator. Uh, you know, to the girls, and, and daddy's a lobbyist. And you know, right now it's campaign season. We were at the fair today, and I, I can show you a text from my daughter. Put your phone down. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, daddy's got a mail plan going out that's got to get out today mm-hmm. if uh, we're going to get these uh, six pieces in on time before the election. Um, and so, you know, luckily a great family that's understanding of what's going on, but you know, this is our lives. I mean, you know, I do this 50, 60, 70 hours a week. You know how it gets at the general assembly, both of you, uh, and now politic campaign season, the same thing. And, but we definitely try to draw the line. You know, I I think that that's the one thing, you know, like tonight we're, we're dealing with real stuff. We got kids downstairs thumping her foot because she's got to get to her friend's house for a sleepover. Got it. And so that's ruled the day in, in the Crawford family. Yeah. And we, we don't lose sight of that. Uh, you know, we, we try to keep the kids' lives as normal as we can. But, you know, last week we took a haunted ghost tour of Raleigh and it started in front of the governor's mansion and they mm. were telling about the haunted room in the mansion. And girls was like, we've been in that room. <laughs> and I'm like, they have been. The, the, you know, the, the leader of the story, you know, the storyteller was like, what? I'm like, yeah, here they, they've been in the room. Mm-hmm. We know all about Governor Fowles' ghost, wow. and you know, but we try to keep them grounded because that was way different than I grew up. I mean, right. I come from very humble beginnings. My, my grandparents raised me, and they had a fourth and eighth grade education between them. Uh, and so, I, I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I've had, I, that I have, and the opportunities I'm able to give those kids. And I know Senator Crawford is too. And we only call her that when we're in public, trying to embarrass her. <laughs> we're like Senator Crawford. <laughs> Or we're out to eat. I'm like, do you know she's famous? <laughs> and she was on TV once. She's on TV once. Yeah. She's on the David Letterman show. That's right. That's right. Your careers kind of converged at yeah. one point. Uh, you both were the subject of an attack ad sure. when Senator Crawford first ran for the yeah. Senate back in 2014. 2014. How did it feel? Let's talk about the ad. The ad basically was you're a lobbyist and that the senator or the candidate at the time was going to be at your beck and call. I'm a lobbyist. People pay me to influence legislators. Would it help me if my wife were in the state senate? What do you think? (laughs) Conflict of interest. Daniel and Sarah Crawford. They live off money from his lobbying. As a senator, she'd vote on the bills he's paid to influence. Truckloads of money from special interest. Who's Sarah Crawford going to work for? So we'll put a link to this video in the show notes. It's worth a look. I've talked to you about this all yeah, What was your reaction when you saw that ad? Well, one, anyone that knows us <laughs> and knows Senator Crawford... <laughs> Well, I wish I had it like that guy in that ad. I, I, I wish I was that guy in the ad. So he's uh, a shark-suited lobbyist. Smoking and, a cigar, drinking bourbon. Uh, and, you know, who's she going to support, me or yeah. you? Well, look, you, you've never met Sarah Crawford. <laughs> if you think for one iota that, that she's going to do what I tell her to, uh-huh. she's going to do what's the right thing to do. Yeah. And that's, that's why I married her, and that's why I fully support her. 
yeah. her uh, work at Polly. She's going to do the right thing to do. She's. I wish she would support me like that. <laughs> now we now currently we both share a love for the environment, and so okay. it's easy right now. But yeah, so. I'm very thick-skinned. I mean, I remember we, uh, Johnny Tillett. You guys know Johnny yeah. Tillett. Can I out somebody, Johnny yeah, Tillett? Yeah, Woods. We were, uh, Sarah and I were campaigning. We were doing, we were in downtown Zebulon, mm. going business door to door. And I think, I know Johnny Tillett was the first person to call me that saw the ad. And I, I hadn't seen it then. And uh, I was like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, little did I know, like how much money was behind it and how much I would see it later. But, you know, it, it's it's politics uh, and it's all part of the game. I mean, I knew I knew that going in that that was a part of it. Uh, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Did your kids have any reaction to that? Well, I, yes, uh, because, you know, when you go to have lunch with your kids and you're walking through the, the cafeteria and, you know, the kids are pointing at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tell you, that that bothered me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were pointing at me because they saw me on TV in, in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one day we were having... what? They saw the actor that played me, correct? Oh. And I don't know if Sarah told you, we're good friends with him. Oh, the actor. We can show you a picture of, a, of like a fake Dan Crawford and a real Dan Crawford sandwich of Sarah Crawford. <laughs> so I know... I, it was her ex-boyfriend. <laughs> It was her ex-boyfriend, which, except, uh, you know, Sarah's got a type. She's got a profile of who she likes. No, it's not. So it was a year and a half after the ad, and Sarah's boss was in town, the CEO of this national nonprofit. And we get to talking about politics, and somehow the ad comes up, and her the CEO is like, what ad? And so we throw it up on the TV and she's like, Oh my God, that's my best friend, Robbie Wilson. Oh, how? I don't even know what that means. Like, you, you know, that guy. And not only she called him right there. She's like, Robbie, where are you? He had a cold in Baton Rouge. He was buying some cold medicine at CVS. <laughs> and she was like, when did you shoot that Senator Crawford ad? He's like, Oh, it was about a year and a half ago. It's like, you will never guess where I'm at right now. It's like, where? It's like, I'm on the Crawford's couch. Wow. In North Carolina, like, oh my God, it was just an ad, you know. And the guy that played me is a super nice guy. He, he's a thespian okay. in Baton Rouge. I call him like he's like the Ira David Woods of Baton Rouge. He plays Ebenezer Scrooge <laughs> okay. in the Christmas Carol every year, and he, I think he got paid three hundred bucks, three hundred bucks. And then a couple of it was probably a month or so later, we went down to Louisiana, and they had a crawfish Crawford crawfish boil in our honor. <laughs> and they really? yeah they did and showed they showed the ad and all of his friends were like you ruined these nice people's <laughs> lives for three hundred dollars robbie oh, wow. it's like no you may have ruined the state of north carolina oh, robbie. for three hundred dollars robbie it's like next time just come tell your friends we'll give you three hundred dollars <laughs> yeah what is robbie's index score uh, you know, that's in Louisiana, and so I, I don't have access to that. I, I don't have I, – I, I probably got friends that could pull it up. But, yeah, we're coming But he did you, volunteer Robbie. when Sarah ran in 2020. He did volunteer to, to do a, a, a better ad in a better light of the fake Dan Crawford supporting Sarah Crawford. Wow. Yeah. Did he do it? Did you – No, we didn't do it. We, we, we did not do it. But, yeah, it was, it's weird because then Sarah became, like, his then-wife's boss. Oh. at the company and you know we wow. go to, we go to louisiana and we you know we see the fake dan crawford <laughs> i'm friends with the fake dan crawford it's not like a personality disorder <laughs> i know the real one and the fake one uh, I'm, my doppelganger is my friend yeah. on facebook All right. <laughs> you've been in north carolina politics for a long time 
So I'm Th- sure. Thank you for calling me old. <laughs> I appreciate it. These whippersnappers these days. You old ass. <laughs> Just get to the question. Okay. If you could change one thing in our politics today, what would it be? Uh, that's easy. It's no brainer. That's the partisanship. Uh, as a lobbyist, and, you know, looking at Brian, uh, he's been around a long time. I remember the old days. I worked for Steve Metcalf, and you go in, and you know, lobbyists would come in and sit down with the senator, and it's like, what's your position on issue A? The lobbyist would lay out his position, and then this, my senator would look at him and say, well, what's the opposition? Mm-hmm. And any good lobbyist worth their weight uh, knows the opposition's position often better than theirs. Mm-hmm. And the lobbyist would lay it out and leave and let the senator make up his mind. So it's not like that now. And that, that's really unfortunate, not just for you know the cause I work for, but for our society, for our democracy. And so if there's one thing I could change, it would take that partisanship out and unite people and bring them together. And you know, most people are in the middle. You know, I, I don't uh, drink the Kool-Aid from my side. I make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that most people are in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in the middle. I'm a Democrat, but I'm in the middle of the road, um, mostly. Um, and I think a lot of people are, and I, I would love to us to get back to that so that we can get more things done for society and leave these, these partisan issues on the edges where they belong. Well, the real Dan Crawford. We <laughs> Please <have> stand up. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate everything you do in North Carolina politics. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Um, I, uh, I feel like I'm a little celebrity now that I've been on this, this podcast, uh, one that I've listened to in the past. It's Thank no you. David Letterman. It's no David Letterman <laughs> like Senator Crawford's yeah. been on. And you're no Sarah Crawford. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but I do have two eyebrows. And you've been to a few fly ball And I've been to, a, uh, been to a fly ball tournament or two. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. So we're going on a road trip this week, and you would pop up and say, I wonder if this goes into the voter file. I wonder if this is why I'm being ranked this way or that way. Well, what was interesting is that he texted us that night (laughs) and said, oh, I forgot to say this, but the data I have doesn't know what race you are, Sky. Mm-hmm. It's like 50-50, white or black. Or I think it's like 40, mm-hmm. it was like 40-something white, 50% black, and then another unknown number. Mm-hmm. I think it's all the Lizzo you download off Spotify. I think Lizzo's pretty white, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> Listening to Lizzo, yeah. Well, a lot of white girls. Okay. I took a lot out of this. Kind of scary, huh? I don't know if it's scary. I think that we've all kind of lost a sense of privacy, haven't we? Yeah. Anytime you get on the internet, like your data, cookies are everywhere. Uh, We appreciate Dan and Senator Crawford stopping by the office this week. That was a great interview. Really fun. Yeah. Tweet of the week. week. This week's tweet of the week comes from Eric Cunningham. He's D.E. Cunningham 2 on Twitter, and he is the founder editor-in-chief at Elections Daily. He tweeted, I'm going to start a political consulting firm. We'll charge $1,000 for consulting sessions, and the sessions will consist of me locking the candidate in a room and forcing them to delete their tweets. Now, Andy Space said, I believe Travis Fain had an idea like this. He called it the No Don't Tweet That Consulting Firm. 
And Travis said, no, don't do that LLC. And he said, I feel like I'd be charging you to ignore my advice, which come to think of it is most consulting. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of lobbying, right? Telling clients, don't say that. And then they say it anyway. And you're like, well, okay, thank you. I mean, we've all been in those situations where it's so awkward, like two people interacting and you're just the third party present. It reverts back to when you're a child and you're at your friend's house and they're in trouble and you're like, you're like trying to fade into the wall. (laughs) But sometimes you're trying to, you know, signal to your client, like, shut up, shut up, (laughs) stop saying that's his best friend you're talking about. (laughs) But even with you, like there have been times I'm like trying to tell you with my eyes something and you just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. We're not as close as I thought we were. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but I am no longer the HOA president of my neighborhood. Happy to hear it. Oh, I am so happy. My stint is over. You know, my list of accomplishments are many. I'll just name one that we have now dog poop stations throughout our neighborhood so that our pets that go to the bathroom outside, you know, you can now dispose of You were the first person to think of that? In our neighborhood. It was a, it was a battle. Oh, wow. I, you know, I had to debate some fellow HOA members. Oh, why didn't they want the station? Smell? Smell. It looks bad. Mm. I said it actually looks good. So anyway, we prevailed and now they're very popular. But yeah, my term ended last Wednesday and I will never do that again. I don't care if my neighborhood's burning down. You know, we do have something cool coming up this weekend. We have a Halloween party in the neighborhood, and you played a role in my costume. Yes, you were looking for a good costume idea, and I suggested Ted Lasso. Your Uh, wife sent me a video of you in uniform to the theme song. Got a mustache, Ray-Bans, a visor, a whistle. I am looking forward to it. I really don't do Halloween parties. This is the first one I've been to probably since college. Oh. I think you should come to our our neighborhood Halloween party. You know, you no. I know you complain but you know, we're going to probably talk about TV shows we watch. I'm I am wearing a costume. And I don't watch any of- TV shows. So I have nothing to talk to your neighbors about. My friends came over on Saturday and I usually just you know, you've been to my house, so I just open the garage when I know someone's coming. And Britt told me she'd park, so I opened the garage, and she came in, and she was like, was this a trap? Because there was, like, a little party outside. She was like, are you taking us to a neighborhood party? I was like, no, get in here before they see us. Yeah. You don't go to your neighborhood parties? Not since that one incident. <laughs> we, I, we can't. Here, here's the thing. I mean, let's, let's, let's do go down this path. Let's go down this path, because... And I've been with you where this has happened. You make small talk, and then small talk leads to, well, what do you do for a living? And ultimately, if you talk to a guy, (laughs) a guy is going to say something really stupid about sexual assault and domestic violence. And so this is why you don't go to parties. That's the true story, right? Well, the story is, or this is what happens. It could go one or two ways. Like, oh, that's really interesting. Or they say some stupid crap that makes me pop off. Yeah, because this is what... So it's his fault. I popped off, not mine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm speaking to all men here. 
If you ever meet someone who has dedicated her or his career to... Any issue. Any issue. But let's just take sexual assault, because this is what ultimately the dudes say. Specifically in this instance, I remember what he said. And it was, well, you know, any woman could accuse me of raping her, and then my life would be ruined. And you just sit there and take a big gulp of wine, and you say what to that? That sounds like something a rapist would say. (laughs) 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 And... I thought it was funny, so I laughed after I said it. Yeah. But this reminds me of that time you were you were with me. We were test driving a car. <laughs> yeah, we saw a VW Bug on the side of the road at a dealership here in Raleigh. And we pulled over and we wanted to test drive this bug. And the guy was very nice. But very. like, just if you've ever been in a situation with me and Brian together, you know we're super annoying and <laughs> <laughs> we're about to play some tricks on you. <laughs> right. Obviously, we weren't even buying this car. I just used to have a bug, so I wanted to drive one. And then you were in there trying to negotiate a price. Like, it was was a really stupid way for us to spend the afternoon. You're driving the car. Yeah. The salesman is in the passenger seat. I'm in the back seat. Eating. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) He brought his own snacks to dirty up the car. That's right. Speaking of you dirtied up my car the other day, I got in there and was like, why is there crap all over this? Yeah. Sorry about that. (laughs) So anyway, we decide to be truthful and tell this guy what you do for a living. Because usually I say you were on season three of Game of Thrones or you were in General Hospital, the musical, Mm -hmm. right? We talked about it. One time. (laughs) One time. That's right. (laughs) Anyway, I, I tell him that. You're, you work in sexual assault, you're an attorney, a lobbyist. Well, what you always say is that I'm an attorney. And then someone says, oh, what type of law do you practice? And that is the line we go down. Yeah. And then he laughed. Yeah, he laughed. <laughs> Nervously. <laughs> and then you said, we don't joke about rape. <laughs> <laughs> to which he said. He said he loves his wife. <laughs> Like, <laughs> it's okay, man. We're not going to hurt you. <laughs> Unless you do something wrong, then I will. <laughs> yeah. I think that particular salesman was relieved we didn't buy that car. <laughs> you should come to my neighborhood party and make small talk about sexual assault and domestic violence. Yeah, that's the that's what people want to small talk about. <laughs> The TV shows you're watching and crime rates. (laughs) We're going to the fair. Right. We're going to the fair. This this drops Friday morning. So we have a graphic out. We posted it on Wednesday. Contact us if you can't find us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, But we'll be out there at 3.30. Probably going to stay for a couple hours. Walk around. See some stuff. Eat some food. And uh, you're more than welcome to tag along. More than welcome. You know, you can go off do your own thing if you want to. But uh, I'll be there. You'll be there. I think Andre Beliveau, he's a, he's a listener. He's going to join us. Uh, my wife says she's going to join us. So this will be good. This will be a lot of fun. NC State Fair, we hope you join us. As we get closer to the election, we have more and more election-related news each week. And we will catch you up on that next week. Until then, enjoy the fair again. 
If you haven't been, enjoy it for the first time. Enjoy this fall weather and remember to do politics better.